Well, dear brothers and sisters, I greet you once again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we come on this Lord's Day to this most familiar passage. As a matter of fact, when we turn to the passage, some of us might already know the story uh, better than maybe I could tell it. But to give some context, the Lord Jesus Christ has been teaching and preaching. He has been healing the sick and healing the lame. He's been casting out evil spirits. And then on one occasion, after teaching a parable about the faith of a mustard seed, tiny seed that grows and becomes larger than all the other plants on the garden, in the garden, Christ then commissions his disciples to get into a boat. And to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, by all outward appearances, this seemed to be a very normal journey. It would have been a journey because these men were fishermen. It would have been a journey that these men would have taken hundreds, if not thousands of times. They would have been very comfortable with this command to go to the other side. But as we read this passage here in Mark, we realize that this is, and I'm sure they realize, that this was no ordinary journey. Again, Christ on the heels of this parable would use this journey on the sea uh, to sift out and to draw out of these men a most compelling question. And the question is this, teacher... Do you not care that we are perishing? Brothers and sisters, friends, visitors, let me ask you this evening. Does Christ care about you? I wonder if you've ever asked yourself that question. I wonder if the question of the care of Christ has ever arisen either out of your lips Or somewhere deep within your heart. Does Jesus even care about me? We have been blessed to be able to hear a number of wonderful sermons by Pastor Isaiah in the evening about Christ, our Christ. Brothers and sisters, he is lovely, isn't he? He is perfect in every way, isn't he? He is altogether glorious. Song of Solomon describes him as being the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. He is that precious. And we might be tempted. This is a possibility. We might be tempted when gazing upon, if you will, the beauty of our Christ. We might be tempted to ask, why would someone as glorious as he, why would someone as lovely as he, as altogether wonderful as he, why would he have anything to do with sinful, wretched me? Why would he care about me? I think that might have been our our thought about Christ when we first came to Christ. I'm sinful. I am wretched. All the things that I've said and all the things that I've done, why would Christ want to save me. But then after salvation, 
we don't necessarily focus on the loveliness of Christ, or at least it's not the thing that causes us to ask and question his care. We don't, meaning this, we don't usually gaze upon his loveliness. We don't usually gaze upon his glory. We don't usually gaze upon the perfections of Christ and say, why would he care about me? Not usually. We, we usually would say, wow, how wonderful is he? Uh, wow, I don't know him as, as well as I thought I did. I had some misunderstandings about Christ. Those, those are usually the things that we say. But we still ask the question about the care of Christ if we're honest. And the time that we ask about the care of Christ is usually when our lives have been shaken. The times that we usually ask about the care of Christ is usually when we are hard-pressed on every side. That's usually, if we're honest, that's usually the time that we ask the question, does Christ even care? And the question doesn't come when all is well in our lives, does it? Usually it doesn't. Well, because all things are well. Why would we ask if Christ cares if all things are well? Well meaning things are well in our church life. Things, our health is relatively well. Not perfect, but well. Things are well with our family, our friends, our school. Our work is, is good. Not perfect again, but generally smooth. It's not typically during those good times that we ask about the question, the, the care of Christ. It's usually, if we're honest, when our souls are hard pressed. When we find ourselves in the midst of storms, that is usually, if we're honest, the time that we ask and question the care of Christ. When the world all around it, as it were, seems to collapse and go awry. Then, usually then, it is when we ask the question, Master, do you not care? In this passage, the Lord Jesus Christ purposely raises this question. We'll talk about why. In the minds of his disciples, Christ powerfully answers this question. And then Christ perfectly redirects his disciples to something greater. With God's help, we shall consider these three points this evening. Number one, Christ purposely raises the question. Again, you know the story well. Christ calls his disciples to go to the other side. These men are fishermen, which means they're at home on the sea. They're at home on the sea. It was most likely fair weather sailing, meaning it was a good day to sail. And we can say this because the disciples do not object to the command of Christ. They do not say when Christ says, let's go to the other side. They do not say, well, Lord, it's, it's a bad day. They do not look into the sky and say, a storm is brewing. They do not say the weather was against them. Instead, they, they do what all disciples do. They obey. They set sail. And the scriptures uh, very quaintly say that as they set sail, the Lord Jesus Christ went to sleep on a cushion on the stern of the boat. Uh, I'd always been confused as to what the stern was. I, I had grown up thinking that the stern was somehow inside of the boat or underneath the boat somewhere. The stern is just the back end of the boat. It's the top of the boat, just toward the back of the boat. And so Christ goes to 
the back of the boat and begins to take a nap would suggest again that there was a calm on the sea. The Sea of Galilee is an interesting sea. It's known to be a sea where storms often do and can arise quickly, usually out of nowhere, with no obvious signs. And as they begin to set sail, one of those unexpected storms arises. But this was no ordinary storm. All of a sudden, the winds become violent. Clouds begin to gather. Rain did not just pour. Rain began to beat down upon the heads of the disciples. Uh, the wind and the waves were so fierce that the waves began, the water began to fill the boat, threatening to bring every single man down to the depths of the Sea of Galilee. And here are these experienced men. These are men of the sea. These are fishermen. They're at home on the sea. And yet for all of their experience, they find themselves in the worst nightmare of any sailor. And they are out of control on the sea. We all know that being out of control anywhere is a bad thing. Those of you who drive for a living, uh, my brother Tony is one of them. Now, you know what it is to to drive and, and you you correct and then you overcorrect and all of a sudden you're out of control. Some of you who know what it is to drive in the rain or to drive in the snow or to drive in the fog, all of a sudden you're out of control. It is a very scary thing. And here are these men. They are out of control and they're at sea. Being out of control at sea, uh, I think I've watched maybe... Uh, too many news flashes of boats sinking at sea. This is why I've told my wife I'm never going on a Disney cruise. It's too scary out there. Maybe watch Moana a few times too many. But they are out of control to the point that they believe that they are going to perish. And in their fear, in their desperation, they call out to the sleeping Lord Jesus Christ so that he might save them. Now, there are two things in this account that are troubling, I think, from the disciples' perspective. Uh, the first is this. They are in this scary predicament precisely because they have obeyed the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're in the storm because they obeyed Christ. Christ gave the command that they should go. And they've done what all true disciples do. They obeyed. They were not like Jonah. Jonah, who you will remember, ran away from the command of the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. They got into the boat. They did not delay. Now they're in this storm because Christ told them to do something. The reason they are in the storm, to the point that they are perishing, is because of obedience. Now, doesn't that add more trouble to the, to, to the storm? Sometimes we might find ourselves in difficulty. And the hardest thing about being in the midst of the difficulty is as, is as far as we can see, we're doing the right thing. And yet, in spite of the fact that we believe we're obeying the Lord, we're in the storm. I'm here because I followed him. Not because I didn't follow him. But there's something else that, that kind of adds to the drama of this storm. 
It was that the Lord was asleep. Now, not that Christ in his humanity never slept. We know this. But this is the only time in the scriptures I think that we have that Christ was asleep. Was it a big deal? Well, for this particular time, it was a big deal. We know that Christ slept. He was a man. He slept. Pastor Isaiah told us a few weeks ago, he did all things, humanly speaking, that humans do. He slept. But it's interesting that of all the times that the scriptures would mention the fact that Christ was asleep, it was this time. The problem is that they are looking at this situation. They're in a storm. And they can't make sense of what, while they're in the storm, Jesus is doing or not doing. It doesn't line up with the circumstances that they're in. It doesn't line up or make sense with what they think he should or should not be doing. They're in the middle of a storm that's threatening their lives. And verse 38 so quietly and calmly says, And Jesus was asleep on a cushion. There on the stern. Chaos is all around the disciples. And Jesus is conveniently asleep while they are on the verge of perishing. It's obvious that our Lord was in a very deep sleep. Any of you ever been in those kinds of deep sleeps where they you didn't hear what was going on out there? You didn't hear the crash? You didn't hear the yelling and the screaming? My wife says that to me sometimes when I wake up and say, uh, what's going on? She goes, you didn't hear the chaos that was going on out here? Sometimes I do and I will close my eyes and come back to sleep. He was not under the boat. He was not inside the boat. He was right there alongside of them. Uh, The rain that was falling on them was falling on him. And here is our Christ asleep during this life-threatening storm. you got to imagine howling wind, crashing waves, waves that are filling the boat. These men are no doubt drenched by water. Christ too. But he doesn't wake up. Christ in his true humanity was exhausted. Preaching all day, performing miracles, healing the sick on his way to Gerasenes to heal a demon-possessed man. And here is our Christ absolutely exhausted. No one worked harder than our Christ. No one worked harder than our Christ. No one had the responsibility of our Christ. So the disciples, they happily allow him to sleep. They were fishermen after all. They were men of the sea after all. This was their expertise. They could handle this. Christ, you go to sleep. We got this. But that's exactly what Christ was testing them. Christ was testing them at the exact point that they believed they were the strongest. Isn't that that what God often does with us? Moses was said to be a man of meekness, and yet he does not enter the promised land because he strikes out in anger. Peter was known for his boldness and his courage, and yet it was just a little maiden that caused him to deny and swear that he did not know Jesus of Nazareth. And here were these fishermen. For all their skill, known for their skill, known for their strength, known for even their courage at the sea, This is what they do. This is what they are competent at. Jesus, you can leave this part of the journey to us. We've got this. 
these men are in their element. And now they are in this storm that has caused them to be completely out of control, out of their depths. And these fishermen cry out to a carpenter for help. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Why are lifelong fishermen, lifelong fishermen calling out to a carpenter's son for help? They were the experts. Except that they realized that this was no ordinary man. Christ has a purpose in bringing them into the sea. In testing them at the very place that they believed that they were the strongest. And it was this, he was bringing them to see this. That their strength is weakness in his sight. That our strength is weakness in his sight. Christ was bringing them that day and us today to see just how poor and needy and weak we all are. Christ was bringing them and us to see that they need Christ at every single point of their lives, not just some points of their lives. There is no area, brothers and sisters, that we can say in our lives over which we can say, I can handle this. I've got this part. Jesus, you can take a nap. I've got it from here. There is no area, not in your parenting, not in your marriage, not in your work, not in your private life. No area of your life over which you can say, Christ, I've got this. You can take a nap. It's when we begin to depend upon our own strength. That we are once again reminded that our strength is weakness in His sight. We have no strength. Christ was bringing His disciples then and now to understand that we need Christ at every point, in every area, in all aspects of our lives. Our faith is so fragile, brothers and sisters. It is so fragile. And Christ brings us through devastating experiences in our lives. We all know them. We've experienced them together as a family. We've experienced them to, uh, individually. We all know difficult experiences. And Christ brings us through them. Christ brings us to them. Not to harm us. Not because He doesn't love us. Not to destroy us. Not so that we can perish. But ultimately so that we might learn to depend more and more on Him and less and less on ourselves. You know, self-dependence is a great problem. And it's one that Christ is continuously pulling off of us. Do you not care, Master, that we are perishing? It's a question that Christ purposely raises in the minds of His disciples. Why? So that He can answer for those disciples then and for every disciple of every age at all times that yes, in fact, Christ does care. It's the question that is raised when we finally realize again and again just how incapable and weak we really are. Christ raises the question so that He can answer it. Number two, Christ powerfully answers the question. 
Before we consider the powerful answer that Christ gives, I'd like us to first consider the painful question that is asked. In many ways, it's the most painful question that you could ever ask anyone. Don't you care? Brothers and sisters, people can say many things about you. They can question many things about you. People can question your strength. People can question your courage, your intellect, your ability, your stamina, your wisdom. Oh, but when someone questions your care, that is a most hurtful question to ask. I don't feel like you care. I don't think you actually love. Dear ones, the most notable difference between the good shepherd and the higher link is this. The good shepherd shows that he cares by laying down his life for his sheep. The hireling runs when the wolves come. He's not concerned with, with the sheep. He's concerned with himself. But the good shepherd shows just how much he cares that he would stand in the way of harm so that he might show his sheep that he truly does care. Master, don't you care? What a question to ask Christ. Of course he cares. And, and do you know, it's the first thing that he heard when he awoke from his sleep. It's the thing that woke him up. Master, don't you care? His eyes are awake. Master, don't you care that we are perishing? Brothers and sisters, the very reason that Christ has taken on human flesh is because he cares. If you can see him in your mind's eye, there in the stern. Our exhausted Christ, worn, spent, in a deep sleep, sleeping even through a storm. And we dare ask the question, do you care? Christ cares. This is the eternal Son. He is the brightness of the Father's glory. The expressed image of His person. The one who upholds all things. The one who slumbers not. Listen, and sleeps not. And yet here he is in his real human nature, exhausted in a boat. Because he was at all points made like his brethren so that he might be a merciful high priest to them. You've heard the quote before, that which is not assumed is not healed. Christ assumes our nature to heal and to redeem us. Christ on his way to Calvary does not sleep the sleep of exhaustion, but he will sleep the sleep of death because he cares. It's a painful question to ask. But it's one that Christ has been leading them to ask. Yes, it's a painful question from our perspective, but it's one that Christ is leading them to ask. He wants them to ask his question. Why? So that he can powerfully respond, reply to this question. What was it that woke our Christ from the storm if it was not the storm? Waves, wind, rain, everything's falling down upon him. He doesn't wake up. What was it that woke our Christ if it was not the wind, the rain, and the drenching sea? What was it? What woke our Christ? It was the cry for help from His sheep for mercy. 
It was the cry of help, of salvation from the sheep that He came to redeem. That's what woke our Christ. Not the wind, not the waves, not the crashing sea. Master, don't you care? Eyes are awakened. It was the voice of His bride that woke Him from His sleep. Many of you men, you know this, you could be in the deepest of sleep. But if your wife shakes you in the middle of the night and says, I heard something, you ought to, I hope that you will. You, you grab your stick or whatever you got, you wake up. You're ready to defend your bride. Christ hears the voice of his bride and he immediately jumps out of his sleep. And I simply want to say to you that Christ has come. So that when we are in the storms of our lives, be they inside of us or outside of us, that when we cry out, Lord, please help save us. Christ will powerfully respond to his bride. You have this full attention. Read Psalm 18 and you will see what the Lord does when the distressed cry of his sheep goes up from heaven to from goes up to heaven. Scriptures say, in the cords of death, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of His temple. My cry for help before Him came to His ears. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. This is a messianic psalm, but it's also applicable to those who are the bride of Christ. He wants to show you and I just how much He cares. And listen to His powerful reply. Verse 39. And he got up. His sheep are crying out. His bride needs her groom's help. And he got up. And rebuked the wind and the sea. Hush or peace. Be still. Brothers and sisters. Uh, you and I know that there's something very impressive about the ocean, isn't there? About the sea. Uh, we thankfully live close enough to the oceans that we can drive by them. And what a blessing it is if you're either by Santa Monica or, or Ventura or Santa Barbara or wherever you like to go. I don't like Pismo, but whoever likes to go that direction. That you're, you're driving through valley and you're driving through windy road. And then all of a sudden you finally come upon the sea. And as you come upon the sea, you look at the vast ocean and you consider its, its beauty, its depth, and its extending waters. They go as far as your eye can see. And you are, and we are in awe of the ocean, aren't we? I remember when I was about 24 or 5, uh, we went to the ocean once with a youth group. And me being the kind of guy that I sometimes am, I decided that I was going to challenge the ocean. I was going to swim out as far into the ocean as I could go, even beyond the cones and those things that are back there. And as I did, I looked back and said, okay, I've gone far enough. I started to put my head back into the water and swim back to shore. 
When I finally picked up my head after being fatigued, I looked up and I wasn't going toward the shore. I went deeper into the ocean in panic and fear because I was already fatigued. I began to swim on my back, hoping, praying that God would somehow, some way bring me back to the shores. Thankfully, after a long while, I felt the pull and push to where I could put my feet to the ground and finally made myself to the sand. When I did, I crawled onto the sand as if I was cast away, crawled onto the sand and looked back at the ocean and said, I will never, ever disrespect you again. There is something impressive about the ocean, isn't there? But you know what Psalm 95 says? The sea is not as impressive as the one who has set its shore and commanded the sea to go there and no further. As impressed by the ocean that we might be, it's not as impressive as the one who sleeps on a cushion in the stern of the boat. I wonder if we realize the sea belongs to Christ. That by him and through him all things were made, even this ocean that is crashing down upon him. And I wonder, what was the first thought of Christ when he had awoken? His mind so full of the scriptures, hearing his disciples, yes, calling out to him, seeing the crashing waves. I wonder if his mind went to Psalm 93, which says, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. They have lifted up their voice. They have made a mighty noise, but the Lord on high is more mighty than the noise of any sea billows. Or maybe his mind went to Psalm 89. The swelling sea obeys thy will. Its angry waves thy voice can still. Here is the almighty God, the everlasting father, prince of peace, speaking to the sea, speaking to the wind, speaking to the waves, Hush, be still. And the swelling sea obeys his command. The angry waves, they turn calm. There are times in our lives when all we can see are storms. When all we can see are waves and everything seems to be out of control. We can look at this pandemic that has afflicted the world over the past year. And things seem to be out of control. We don't see what Christ is doing. It, it is as though he sleeps. As though he is not aware of our circumstances. As though he does not care. The storm within that no one sees. That often causes us to feel abandoned. Causes us to ask, does Christ see? Does he even care? Know this, dear saints. That just as Christ has purposely raised this question in the minds of his disciples, so he also raises it in the minds of you, his people. Not so that he can continue to sleep, but so that he can get up and answer the question for you. No matter the storm, no matter the valley, no matter the desert, Christ truly cares. Third and finally, 
And when he answers the question, he also redirects us as well. Let me say, as we're moving into the third point, the presence of storms or the absence of storms does not mean that Christ does not care. Whether you be in a storm or not be in a storm. Being in a storm doesn't mean Christ cares any less about the one who is not in a storm. He must love them more than me. They've got a good job. Their marriage seems to go well. They don't seem to have any problems. He must love them more than me. Not so. The presence or absence of these things does not mean or indicate any greater or lesser love and care of Christ. Christ, after redirecting or after rebuking the wind and the waves, listen to the question. Why are you afraid? Pause. Just think about that for a second. Anybody ever been out of control anywhere? Did fear arise in you? The Lord says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you know that he said, he does not say, listen to what he does not say. He does not say, where is your skill, fisherman? He does not say, where is all your courage gone? You're fishermen. This is, this is your expertise. Come on, guys, get it together. No, the real question is this. Where's your faith? Where has it gone? They ask Christ, where is your care? And Christ asked them, where's your faith? These men allowed the circumstances around them to control them and their faith rather than the other way around. When you are in storms, faith sees you through. Faith in Christ sees you through. The storms cannot control you. The storms should not control you. If I am absolutely fearful that I am going to die, this is the end. Christ does not care. The question from Christ is, where is your faith? Because if your faith is in Christ, that's the object of your faith, there should be no fear. Circumstances, Christ is saying, they blurred your vision of Him. You see God. Sometimes we see God and we think, I see Him clearly. I know where I'm going. I know where, where I'm heading. All things are well. And then storms come. And like a fog, our vision becomes blurred. We who walked with Christ wonder, was I really walking with Him? Was this really true? Christ says about those kinds of people, your vision is blurred. The circumstances are controlling you. Look to Christ. Christ is where your eyes should be focused. Christ asked the question, where's your faith? Is this consistent? With all that you've seen and heard of me, is this consistent with me? Is this the impression that you've gotten, Christ says, of me? After all you've seen, the dead have been raised, the blind have been, have been given sight, the sick have been healed, the lame have been, uh, have, have been healed. After all that you've seen me do and say, you're concluding that I don't care? 
Where is your faith? So also you, brothers and sisters, you might not be in the midst of a Sea of Galilee kind of storm now, but you've been in them before. And in being in them before, you could at least look back and say, what's consistent with my Christ? What is consistent with my Christ is this. He has seen me through every one of them. He has been with me through every single one of them. Do I believe that in following him I will perish? No, no, no. That's not consistent with what I've seen and heard of my Christ. Sometimes Christ asks, why do you have so little faith? And other times Christ asks, where is your faith altogether? When we hear this, we must ask ourselves, then where is my faith? Is it in Christ? Is he my only hope? Do I depend upon him for everything? Do I have faith? Because the Lord often uses these stormy experiences to bring people who think they have faith to show that they don't have faith. And to show people that do have faith, that their faith is not as strong as they thought it was. What's the point? It's consistent breaking of our self-reliance and looking to Christ alone. And he uses the storms, don't he? doesn't he? Now remember, this storm is coming on the heels of the parable of the, so, of the, of the seed of the mustard, or the mustard seed, which is a tiny seed. If you were to ask these men, do you have faith? They would not have been able to see it within themselves. If you were to ask these men, do you believe in God at this moment? They would have said, I believe we're going to perish altogether. But in the midst of their perishing, who do they call out to? They call out to Christ. It's a mustard seed a cry, but it's still a cry. It's a mustard seed of faith, but it's still faith. Because they used that little that they've been given to call out to Christ. And in doing so, Christ says, I see the mustard seed. I recognize it. And it will grow and it will flourish. Though it be small, it will be great. Amen. Don't we at times? I'm in this. I, I don't get it. I, it's hard. It's, it's hard for me to, to comprehend why I'm here. God help me, mustard seed. There it is. Because the person who does not believe in Christ, who does not have any faith, doesn't call out to God. They say, I'll figure this out. I'll work this out somehow, some way. I don't know how I will, but I will work this out somehow, some way. But the one who even has small faith, small, uses it to call out to God. And you realize the small faith has been given to you by God. It's faith of the mustard seed, but it's still faith. And Christ sees the grain and it's precious in its, in his sight. He sees the grain and it is what awoke him out of his sleep. He sees the grain and it causes him to stand, to arise, to rebuke the wind and the waves. These men experience the parable of the mustard seed in real time. Yeah, I'm, I'm not one for illustrated sermons. You'll never see me um, putting props up here in order to illustrate the sermon. But Christ uses the wind and the waves 
in order to illustrate something for his disciples. Look at the effect that Christ arising and rebuking the waves, look at the effect that it has on his disciples. You would think that it would say, Christ rebuked the wind and the waves, the sea became calm, and they lived happily ever after. This is no Disney story, though, is it? Listen to the reaction. They became very much afraid. It is as though they are more afraid after the storm than while they were in the storm. different kind of fear though it's not a fear of the elements it's a fear of God they realize that they are standing on holy ground that they are standing in the presence of the eternal one this before us is God almighty let me say to you this not a one of us will ever when we stand before God strut up to God we will all have an awe and fear when we stand before Almighty One. This fear is adoration, it's reverence, it's love, it's respect, it's a fear again that you are aware that you are in the presence of God. And it shows what Christ was doing through all of this. To bring them to this point. Drawing out of them the faith, the germ, the mustard seed. Drawing out of them this question, does he care? And redirecting the question to this, to this new question. Who then is this? See that the redirecting of the question, the question originally was, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And the question has been redirected to, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The second question is, who then is this or what manner of man is this? Who is this? What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's the very question that Christ is drawing out of them. Not do you care? Yes, he cares. Beyond do you care, who are you? What kind of man is this that the elements obey? He is a man, a real man, but he is no mere man. He is the God man. And you will find him physically and emotionally exhausted. You will find him sleeping through a storm. You will find him hungry in a wilderness. You will find him thirsty beside a well. He is a real man, but he is the prototypical man of faith. He is the perfect man who has perfect trust in his heavenly father. This man is the same one who says to you and I, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. The man who we find hungry in the wilderness who says, is the same one who says, I am the bread of life. And he who believes in me will never hunger. The man that we find thirsty beside the well 
is the one who says to me, if any man thirst, come and let him drink. What manner of man is this? This is the God-man. Zechariah tells us this is God's fellow. Brothers and sisters, we have storms in our own lives. Inside, outside. Anxiety, fear, worry, conscience of sin. And all of these things have brought us to ask this question. What manner of man is this? This is the man that you and I need. This is the man that you and I need. The conclusion is this, at least to this portion of their day. It's found in chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side. Jesus always brings his people to the other side. Do you know what I am? I'm a travel guide. Spurgeon said that ministers are travel guides to the celestial city. By God's grace, I have been given the privilege to lead you to the gates. And it's only when my job is done that I'm able to enter myself. But be sure of this, that Christ will always bring his people to the other side the place of glory Christ will carry you over and brothers and sisters Christ experiences this storm with his disciples and shows us that he will himself go through a storm of his own the storm of Calvary we will see our Christ there physically perishing not from the sea but from the cross he is ultimately in the flesh so that he might go there to save sinners, to subdue sinners to himself, to bring our hearts to himself. Brothers and sisters, he will go there. And before he goes there, his disciples will be there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he will call them to pray with him. And three times he will have to go back to them. And what are they doing each time that he goes back to them? They're asleep. Could Christ not accurately have said to them, Don't you care that I am perishing? Could you not watch for me one hour? Psalm 142, I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man who knew me. Nobody cared for my soul. Christ would go to the storm and there would be no help from angels. There would be no aid from his disciples. There would be no one to stand and rebuke the storm. The billowing waves would not be silenced. Why and who is this? This is our Christ who goes to Calvary. And dare we see our Christ there at the cross and ask, Don't you care? This evening we come to the Lord's Supper. 
And we see the body of Christ represented in this bread. We see the blood of Christ represented in this cup. And what do we see? We see Christ saying to you, his people, see how I have cared. See just how much that I have cared. So, dear saints, cast all your cares upon him. For he has showed just how much he cares for you. Dear saints, I said this morning that when Christ speak or when we speak accurately from Christ's word, Christ himself is speaking. We're going to say next week, so then our attention should be completely on God's word then. Because right now Christ is speaking to you. Would you be distracted by anything else? Christ did not let the wind and the waves distract him from coming and saving you. 